0: Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Julius Kim to discuss sermon design and delivery. Dr. Kim currently serves as the president of the Gospel Coalition. He also serves as an associate pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church and visiting professor of practical theology at Westminster Seminary, California. He is also the author of one of, in my opinion, one of the top preaching books out there, Preaching the Whole Council of God. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for being a part of our conversation today. Thank you for having me. So in your book, Preaching the Whole Council of God, Uh, you provide some helpful tips on both sermon design and delivery. Uh, From the very beginning of the book, it's a book about preaching, uh, both in design and delivery. In fact, the very first sentence of the book is, Preaching is a glorious calling. What makes preaching so glorious?
1: I guess the simplest way to do it, or to say this, is is not to repeat the book, of course, but to basically say it's a glorious calling because you're actually representing God himself, the living God, the creator of the universe, you represent him as you speak to his people and to his world. What can be more glorious than to actually represent God as his mouthpiece? I mean, what an unbelievable calling it is, and which, 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 which forces you to think about not only the, the great privilege it is to represent God in that way, but what a tremendous responsibility mm-hmm. as well. And so it's at the at, at at one and the same time it's exhilarating because you represent God, but it's also very scary mm-hmm. because you represent God. <laughs> so it's glorious because you're representing the God of the universe, the guy who threw out the stars with his hands and yet knows each and every one of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so just an amazing, amazing privilege uh, to be called a preacher of
2: the living God. So, mm. yeah. So, what should the goal of the preacher be? Uh, you know, every time he gets into the pulpit. He's going to preach the word. Uh, what should he be most concerned about? Yeah, I, I, that's, there's so many
1: things he should be concerned about. But I think if I were to sum it up in one word, it's, it's to be faithful as a herald of the living God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be faithful because ultimately what you're doing is not your own. And I always tell this to my students. 20 years I taught at the seminary. I taught preaching. One of the first things I say to them is, guess what? It's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's not. But it is about you insofar that God has called you and chosen you to be his mouthpiece, to be his herald. And as you know, in that first century term, the herald was somebody that was chosen as an early age, trained to represent the king. Not many people got a chance to do that. And then he would be like, I guess it would be like a modern day ambassador for our country. But it would be more than that because his words equaled the words of the king. Mm -hmm. And that's an that's an amazing calling, but a tremendous responsibility. And so I think what I what I, I think it's important for preachers every time they get to the pulpit to remember is that, you know, it's a fearful calling, but it's a tremendous calling. So just be faithful. God has already given you his word. Be faithful in all that you do to faithfully, accurately interpret it, but also to faithfully, accurately, and compassionately to God's people to speak it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to do your best in that way. So I think faithfulness uh, is the most important word I think preachers need to say. And, and I think that takes away a lot of the pressure, I think, from right. preachers. Because I think a lot of young, especially young preachers, but I think old preachers too, you get up there and it, when you start taking the attention away from God himself and more on yourself as the speaker, um, you start making some errors. Mm-hmm. Because it's more about yourself and your so-called fruitfulness. And that's not a bad thing per se seeing fruitfulness, rather than displaying faithfulness. Mm. And I think more and more preachers need to be thinking more about what does it mean to be a godly preacher, faithfully representing God himself, as opposed to being a a gifted orator that puffs himself up, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So maybe godliness is better than giftedness. Mm. Faithfulness perhaps is perhaps more important than fruitfulness. Mm. So that's how I would say it. That's really
0: helpful. This next question, I, I want to get both of you in on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, describe to me what your sermon prep process generally looks like, and maybe include some 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 things that you've seen guys kind of mess up on in this process.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is it's it's different per preacher, and it's different as you age. So I, a lot of the young guys in my preaching class, I think first year preaching pre- preaching students, mm-hmm. just assume that. What they did in seminary like spend 30 hours on a sermon is what they're going to do for the rest of their life and Mm -hmm. it's just not going to happen that way right because you start mastering your craft and hopefully you're just continuing to master your craft over decades and so, what my, what your, so I tell them what your sermon process looks like at the beginning mm-hmm. of seminary is going to hopefully look different at the end of seminary and then as you go into ministry. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking
0: of students right now that are just like taking a sigh of yeah, relief. Yeah, like, yeah. Yes, I don't have to do 30 hours of this for the rest of my life. Right. That's right. That's right. exactly
1: right. And in my tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, we still, many of our churches still have an evening service. I'm sure maybe the Baptists mm-hmm. do as well. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, pre- when you're preparing two sermons and you think, 60 hours? That's a lot of pressure when there's a lot of other pastoral ministry that's very important. Mm -hmm. Not that preaching is unimportant, but you have to learn. So I try to take that pressure away early on and say it does get easier, but it also requires you to, to hone your craft, like know your scriptures really well. So as you, as you prepare, scriptures will just come to mind as you're preparing, as opposed to looking through a concordance or a reference book or a dictionary or a commentary. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to know, oh, I think there's a passage over here and a passage over here that really connects. And then you also have to know your audience really well, your church. Mm-hmm. As you shepherd your people more, what makes them cry, what makes them laugh, mm-hmm. you know, oh. I know this family over here struggling with this. Mm-hmm. I think this text will really be helpful here in the sermon, mm-hmm. and so there 's this there's this kind of combination of knowing the text really well the Bible, knowing your craft, sermon preparation, and then knowing your people that just gets better and better over the years and makes sermon pre- preparation less. but having said all that as caveats, my sermon preparation uh, usually takes the form of reading the scripture multiple times in its context and its codex so the text itself and then the texts text that are surrounding it uh, in, in in your heart language, right? Whatever language I, is the easiest. So I don't go right to the Hebrew or the Greek right away. I actually do it in English first because I want to get a feel for it in my own mind but also in my own heart. Mm-hmm. And I just spend time, you know, probably half a day or so just reading and praying about it, thinking about my people at church, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, before I even dig in to exegesis. And then I get into exegesis after that because even then I'm already kind of formulating even through the English, reading kind of what's the main what's the big idea here Mm -hmm. and how am I going to apply it really well to God's people through the gospel Mm. and so that's I'm already thinking through that thesis because for me exegesis is actually not the hard part Mm -hmm. to be honest Mm. because hopefully by the time you finish seminary you have the tools you know how to do it and there's there's a certain science to that but what preaching is it's more than a science as you all know it's it's an art too Mm -hmm. it's like taking this text and like how how do I articulate this how do I craft it in a way that I'll be most effective for my people right. while mm-hmm. being faithful? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the hardest part. It's crafting. It's the organization, frankly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not the exegesis, not the actually preaching itself, delivery. That you work on that. That's a that's a craft you hone. But it's that it's that it's that transition from exegesis to communication. That organization. That clarity that you want. The the coherency of the of the message, and that takes that takes time. Mm-hmm. So there's the Reading portion, reading and praying, there's the exegesis, and it's I talk about this in the book and different stages that I take through that, and then really crafting the what I call the movement of the sermon. I really want the sermon to have a certain movement and almost like a like a drama that unfolds <clears throat> where there's where you build up tension and you release tension through the gospel, and then thinking about and then praying some more through it all, hmm. so that's kind of like a real simplistic way hmm. if you want more, hopefully you could pick up the
2: book, but uh yeah. Or no, take one micro really helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about you, yeah.
2: Professor Yeah, so uh you're you're absolutely right that uh you 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 change, you adapt, you know, as time goes by. Uh I there are there are a lot of things that I did back in the early days of preaching, uh back when I was in college and and, and so forth. Uh, that I still do today, and then there's so many things that I don't do anymore. Um, uh, One thing, you mentioned uh, how the exegesis process, the exegetical process, uh, uh, gets smaller, uh, the time for it gets smaller as time goes by. One reason for that is hopefully you've accumulated notes. And if you're saving your notes, <laughs> you're doing yourself so much of a service uh, over time because I can look back at, at, at um, times when I've studied a passage, you know, several years ago, and I'll look at it and and I'll make some tweaks and so on. You know, there are things that I'll read now, say, 15 years later, that I go okay, you know, well, that was cute, <laughs> you know, when I, was, when I was a college kid and so on, or, or seminary guy, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I see what I was thinking, you know, then, but, you know, it's, it's, it's marinated a little bit, you know, it's, it's it have given it time to simmer over the years, and I'm, I'm older a little bit, you know, uh, and, and wiser, hopefully, uh, and so, you know, I can look at it, and I can tweak it a little bit, but much of the brunt work has already been done, and so I could just look at what I've done. And and, uh, and, and and work from there. Uh, so that's helpful. Uh, one other thing that I think is, is different in the process, and this is actually something that I would, I would warn younger preachers, uh, uh, less, less experienced preachers, is that I spend a lot more time thinking about my people than I did before. Uh, really, my sermons back in the day were really just exegetical papers. <laughs> I mean, I spent so much time in my sermons explaining the text that I had no time to apply it. Uh, and, and the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that I was doing my people a disservice. Uh, yeah, they know what the text says, but they have no idea what to do with it. Uh, and so now I spend uh, much more time thinking and, and praying over how to apply this to us as a body uh, and and how even to apply this specifically in, in each of our individual lives. Uh, that part, I guess, you know, what some people say today, exegeting your people, exegeting your audience has become a much bigger deal for me than it did before.
1: Mm. That's a really good point. I really appreciated your Your word, your words of advice, especially to younger preachers, to keep their notes, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes I don't know if you've experienced this, but we probably prepare a lot more than we actually take to the pulpit. Oh, absolutely, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like, like we prepare food, like for Thanksgiving. We just had Thanksgiving. There's a lot of things that go to the trash or stay behind because you want to prepare this meal or this particular dish in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. So, like a good chef, you're only going to present. All the, the best parts of the potato, not the peels, and maybe even some of the meat or the, of the potato will stay behind. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to throw that away because there's actually a lot of good nuggets there that you may not use in the sermon again, but you could use in Bible study. Right. You could use in personal like counseling. And so there's just a lot of material that I've saved over the years in my files. And I go back and go, huh, I could turn this into a lecture. I can turn this into an essay or anything yeah. because it's... Gold, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're working with gold. Yeah. yeah. And so you could present it in a different way. So for for the younger preachers that are listening, I would just say, do your work. Don't think you can do 10 hours, put in 10 hours like some of the older preachers. Mm-hmm. Do your 30 hours early on, but save your work. But make sure you don't take all 30 hours into the pulpit. Right. That's how young preachers <laughs> right. do. Right. You know, right. think about your audience and think about their needs and their questions and concerns. And so mm-hmm. that's a good word.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we we typically acknowledge the Holy Spirit's role in the preaching event but but often we don't acknowledge his role in the preparation of our sermons. So we talk about going into the pulpit and we pray Holy Spirit speak through me, you know, and so on. Uh but but we're not really thinking about The Holy Spirit guiding us in the process leading up to the pulpit. So, why is that wrong? First off, I'm I'm not even going to ask if it's wrong. No, 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 it's wrong. Uh, Why is that a mistake? And and what is the Spirit's work in the prep process?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I think in our tradition, our kind of conservative evangelical tradition, we place so much importance on the exegetical work, and nothing wrong with that. Of course, we want to be. Accurate and faithful to interpreting the text and representing God's word. But what we fail to realize is if we take a closer look at the word, how important the spirit is in every aspect
0: Mm -hmm.
1: of our lives, our church, let alone preaching. And so, for example, you know, the doctrine of illumination. We won't, as preachers and interpreters, we don't even understand the text without the power of illumination, the illumination of the spirit bringing the darkness to light. Mm -hmm. And so even as we're interpreting the scriptures, we have to be praying, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I'm reading. Help me to understand what I'm studying. Furthermore, there would be no conversion, right, of our people. There would be no regeneration of dead hearts into live hearts without the work of the Spirit. There would be no sanctification in our people. Mm -hmm. Everything that we want in terms of not only understanding but the actual event of preaching, unction, right, that unction, the mm-hmm. doc- and mm-hmm. then the effect, the, the kind of the, the goal we want of preaching, people's lives changing, is all through the work of the Spirit. Yeah. So the more we understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the more we're going to rely upon it. It reminds me of a great quote that I recall of a, a preaching book that I remember. I don't remember the author, but I remember this book. He said, Preaching is a demonstration of the Spirit's power, not the preacher's prowess. Mm. Wow. And that's such a good thing for me to remember every time I get to the pulpit because let's be honest, we always think about ourselves and wow, that was a pretty good sermon. We pat ourselves on the back and we fail to realize that you're just a mouthpiece. mm -hmm. Mm. You're just a herald. And if the Spirit doesn't move, no one's changing. (laughs) Right. And so you go up there and say, Holy Spirit, come. But you have to say, Holy Spirit, come, even as we're preparing. Mm -hmm. Right. In in terms of understanding it, but also praying that even this, that we're changing as we're even studying the text, that the Lord would use it to change our people, et cetera. So the Holy Spirit's absolutely vital in the whole process of preaching. And so Mm -hmm. I think we need a fresh reminder of that.
0: Your book is such a goldmine on this topic. There were a a lot of quotes that just stood out to me when I was reading it, but really good summary of everything you just said, the two quotes that come out. Uh, come to mind the most, is you say in the book, every effort in sermon preparation is worthless without the accompanying work of the Holy Spirit's mm. work. Well, that's a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, and another another good one uh, is, we will not grasp the truth, goodness, and beauty of God's Word apart from the Holy Spirit's mm. work of conviction, illumination, mm. and regeneration. Wow. So really, really good stuff there on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So let's start looking at delivery a little bit. Uh, in your book, you have a chapter on the influence of neuroscience on the design and delivery of the sermon. It's a really, really unique chapter. You and I were just talking about it earlier uh, when we were walking here. Uh, why did you include it, first off, and, and, and why is it important for pastors listening right now to be thinking about brain function and its implications on preaching?
1: That's a great question. I think uh, let me let me see if I got all the questions there. I think I got interested in it because I was reading a book uh, about the impact of the brain on pedagogy, on teaching. So as a teacher myself having been at the seminary for 20 years prior to taking on this new role, I've always wanted to challenge myself to be a better teacher. And and as you know, you have like a 1-hour block to give a lecture. And we've all sat in lectures before, some good, some not so good. (laughs) And I've given lectures, some good, some not so good. So I'm like, how do I get better at this? And so one of the books I read gave me some tips. and I thought, hmm. So I started just doing some digging, actually going through the footnotes and, and pulling out all the things this particular researcher was looking at. And I was actually looking at like doctoral dissertations on neuroscience and its impact on pedagogy. And the and, and some of the secondary literature was primarily, as I mentioned to you earlier, for like K through 12 students with like special needs or educational disabilities. How do we help them uh, gain, gain more knowledge and et cetera of, of a particular topic through that? And I thought, huh, there's some interesting implications here, I think, to preaching. Uh, because I think we all want that. And mm-hmm. so as I started discovering that, I discovered that as a preacher, I actually want what a lot of these books wanted, which is to maximize attention, retention, and integration. And I thought, okay, I think all preachers want that. And if it's true, some statistics say that uh, about an average adult listens to a sermon, they retain only about 7%. Hmm. Now we all want to believe that as preachers, I'm sure my listeners retain a lot more. But I don't know. I asked my own daughters when they would listen to me preach, so, so what do you remember from that? Oh, that wonderful illustration, Dad, that you said, that story, which is another thing about narrative art versus, mm-hmm. you know, propositional language. But they, so I thought, huh, what can, we, what can we do to maximize the attention of our audience, the retention, that is what they receive, but also hopefully then integrating it into their lives, putting it into what I call long-term memory, not just short-term memory, mm-hmm. work, you know working memory versus like the hard drive, not just RAM, mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. kind of way mm-hmm. of thinking about it. So I just started digging and reading, and I found it fascinating. Just started taking notes and reading more, grabbing more books, and I thought, huh, this could actually work as a chapter in my books. So originally, it was not part of the book. Wow. Yeah, I didn't think about it at all, and I thought... I think this may be helpful and interesting. And so I just, I'm barely scratching the surface as you can imagine. Brain science is a huge field mm-hmm. and there are a lot of brains and they're very different. <laughs> and so one of the things we have to remember is that even though this chapter does talk about the importance of the implications of neuroscience to, to the d- design and delivery of a sermon, there's just, it's just scratching the surface. But having said that, again, I still believe that we're all fearfully and wonderfully made and as God designed us, he designed us with incredible brains mm-hmm. that we don't actually maximize, not only as preachers in preparation, but also as listeners as we respond, listen and respond to a sermon. So I think there's some implications here. I think we as preachers, again, continue to, we need to continue to hone our craft. And this is one of those areas that I think we can look into <clears throat> to grow in our, our knowledge and experience but we also need to train our listeners to listen more. You know, the Puritans used to preach like three, four hours Mm -hmm. until the candle went out, Mm -hmm. essentially. That was their, it wasn't the wife looking at, you know, pointing (laughs) to their wife saying, honey, you're done preaching. It was when the candles burned down, there was no more light.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, It's because they were able, they trained themselves to do that. And so in the book, I also talk about our, uh, how to increase even our memories and memory systems, et cetera. But um, all that to say, I think this is just another way of me trying to encourage preachers uh, to 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 learn about an area that they may not have thought about, and hopefully it'll improve the way they think about mm. uh, their design and delivery of sermons.
2: Mm. Yeah, that as far as I know, and and you probably know better than I do. You're the only book that I've seen that has a that has a, on preaching that has any section. On neuroscience or, or anything like that. So, at least as of right now, you are the goat. You know of, <laughs> uh, of, of neuroscience and preaching. Uh, so so yeah. Uh, if anybody listening wants to take the crown, you know you are going to have to you know to be the man. You are going to have to beat the man. So, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I I really appreciate it. It Was just really fascinating to mm. to think about how we think uh, and 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 th- and how the way we think. The ways we think affects the way that we should communicate. It was very, very well done. Uh, well, let me shift gears a little bit. We and maybe it's not that much of a shift. Uh, we live in a fast-paced culture, and a lot of people are saying that, that that has an effect on our on our minds, on our brains, and 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 so on. Uh, especially in the area of attention spans. Uh, you know, we we live in a culture of of you know Instagram and 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 TikTok, you know, and, and and all of this where it's it's short, it's quick, it's fast, and and you better nail it in five seconds or else you know you you've lost everybody. So so how has that affected sermon design and sermon delivery? Um, and and should we should it affect it? You know, should we present our sermons like TED talks? You know, just little short, 10, 15 minute, you know, things tops. You know, how how do we navigate the change in our in our culture?
1: Yeah, the first thing I would say is it's it's challenging for mm-hmm. sure, and it's not unlike parenting. For those of us with children, we wouldn't go to our three year old and expect them to listen to a thirty minute discussion on the Trinity right? A lecture, a one-hour lecture on the Trinity. My three-year-old daughter is not going to understand that. So we have to adjust. Mm-hmm. I don't know why preachers don't think we can't adjust to our people, to our three-year-old, to are three-year-old spiritually, as opposed to 18-year-olds or 30-year-olds spiritually. So if we think about physical age and the, the adaptations we need to make to contextualize the richness and the beauty of God's Word, the truth of God's Word, and we make it accessible, relevant, easy to understand to our three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old and think about our ministry that way, that by the time they reach 18, Lord willing, and they go off to either work or college, whatever, we've done our best as parents to present them with the full truth of God's word along with the church and school, whatever. But as parents, that's our responsibility and our privilege. Now, I think if we, look about, if we think about preaching that way, I don't think it's a bad thing to then say, okay, where are our people? As I look across this audience or this congregation of the flock God has given to me to be a good steward of. This is God's flock, not mine. Mm -hmm. And for this short period of time, God has given me the privilege and the responsibility to take care of this flock. Mm -hmm. And if many of them, I like to call them, I don't know, sorry people in New Life, but I love you all. But uh, they're like spiritual teenagers, You know, they know just enough to complain and rebel and grumble and mumble their way through the wilderness wanderings. Mm -hmm. But they don't know enough to really be mature kind of disciples of Christ. And That's okay. And, of course, there's a wide range of folks in our church. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, a 35, 40, 45-minute sermon is going to be really hard for them because of the cultural influences, Mm -hmm. because of the way they're raised, because of the air that they breathe, the water that they're swimming in, whatever we wanna call it, in this fast-paced, digital, technological culture that has influenced the way they are able to pay attention and retain the information. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I think we have to adjust. And so I actually do think, when you say, should our sermons be like TED Talks? I would say yes and no. Mm I would say yes insofar as we hone and craft our message, just keep working and editing and editing so that you're, you're trying to find the best turn of phrase or the best way to organize your sermon so that you're compelling your audience to listen to you all the way through mm-hmm. without the use of fancy multimedia, without the use of even an outline. So I don't, I don't preach, I don't give away an outline to my audience because I want them to be looking at me. Mm. Because it's not just words that they're hearing. They're seeing my face, my body language, because God has given me that to communicate. We actually communicate more messages with our body language than with our actual words. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, how many of us actually think about, now what does my face look like when I'm talking about God's comfort Mm -hmm. through difficult times? Mm -hmm. Do I look angry? Actually, I do. My girls tell me all the time, Dad, why do you look angry? I'm like, no honey, I'm just passionate. No, you look angry. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we don't realize right. how, how important even our facial expressions, our body language is to our communication. Mm-hmm. So, so insofar as we can adapt to our audience based on where they are, they're, they're, in, they're in process too. Mm-hmm. And if they can only handle a 20 minute TED talk, 15, 20 minute TED talk, maybe I can push them to go to 30 of the sermon. Mm -hmm. But craft it in a way that's gonna be really engaging, Mm -hmm. accessible, relevant, without compromising the truth. That's hard, but that's that's my privilege. Mm -hmm. I'm a master craftsman. I'm gonna give them the best I can, like a chef does at Thanksgiving, right? I'm gonna give you my best meal here every Sunday. And that's a wonderful privilege we have. So, so insofar as it is a TED Talk, yes. But at the same time, you want them to grow over time. Mm-hmm. You want them to be able to sit and listen to an exposition of Scripture for at least 30 minutes. Because I think you need about that time to fully develop the text, mm-hmm. to fully articulate the truths of the text. You need a certain amount of time. And so if we as preachers think about our preaching ministry over kind of an 18-year span, like we raise our own children, then we take some of the pressure off and we say, okay, this is where they are, but this is where I want to take them. Hmm. I think then we can start where they are, depending on the church, right, and the people, but then disciple them and grow them and mature them to become, you know, folks that can really listen to an exposition of scripture for 30, 35 minutes, et cetera. That's
0: really helpful. Yeah.
2: I remember. taking a trip out to San Diego we were actually just talking about this before we uh, started recording and we went to Sunset Cliffs first time over over there first time seeing the Pacific Ocean uh, at least for an extended amount of time and we're there watching the sunset and it was amazing how many people were there first off and it was also amazing as I could just kind of look around you could tell not everybody here is a tourist there are people who who are out there that probably do this every night. You know, they go out and they just sit and watch the sunset over the Pacific. It it was just it was just breathtaking. And I thought about what we were talking about with the TikTok generation, Ted Talk generation and so on that you know, here's here's a group of people that could go out and watch the same sun set over the same ocean every day for you know, the hour or so that they're out there to watch the sunset. And it never gets old. And they will take that time every single every single day. Why? Well, maybe it has something to do with the majesty of the sunset, mm. you know, that they see something that's so spectacular mm. that they, they have to look. They can't look away. Like they have to see this and they have to experience this because it's something so deeply meaningful for them. How much more has it been for us, the preacher? to say you know maybe the attention spans of our people would be expanded if we gave them something worth their attention mm, good word you mm-hmm. know and uh, and just show them on full display this is our god this is you know our king this is the gospel mm. this is the hope that we have in christ let's sit for a little bit longer and and just m- be mesmerized at the glory for sure that's a good word
0: yeah last question what advice would you give to pastors right now who feel like they are weak in either the areas of sermon design or delivery how could he get better in these areas would you maybe recommend he watch himself uh previous sermons are there any resources that you would recommend in addition to your book
1: yeah one of the first things i would do is listen to this podcast when it comes out all the time because hopefully <laughs> from what i'm learning i'm learning a lot just by by being here and so i'm sure there's a lot of gold here that preachers young we didn't and pay old... him to say this <laughs> no we did not no so I think there are good resources like this and the center here at the, at the seminary for continuing it. I think that would be really good. I would answer that question, I think, in two ways. I would, I would say to those preachers, for those of you out there that are struggling and, and wanting some hope, think about it both personally and professionally. One of the things that I've discovered in my 30 years of ministry or so is the importance— let's talk about per- personal first—the importance of what I call holy friendships— These are other preachers and other pastors that when I was young, I felt like I didn't really need because I'm Superman, right? I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got this great degree called the master of divinity, right? (laughs) I'm a master now, right? And so I'm going to conquer the world for Jesus because I'm invincible. And then you get into ministry in the first five years, like, wow, I don't think I can do this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just so (laughs) hard. And this is where you need other pastoral friends Mm -hmm. who understand you That are going to be different from like your elders and other leaders in the church, you need those kind of outside the church too, that you can kind of just, you know, talk with and pray with and cry with and laugh with and let your hair down, so to speak, and not worry about losing your job because you're being honest. Mm. But those who will hold you accountable, but also encourage you and resource you. And I've discovered now um, how important that is in my own life than I've ever before. Mm. So I think personally for my own spiritual growth and the rhythms of spirituality and piety, I need holy friends to just keep me on track. Because a lot of times I find in my, when I get into like preaching slumps, it's not so much the professional side that's struggling, it's more the personal. Mm. You know, I'm just in a personal slump and I need friends around me to preach the gospel to me, Mm. you know, so to speak. And so I would say that's the first part, I think. Consider who are your friends and do you have holy friends in your life that you intentionally and strategically take the time out of your busy schedule and say, you know what, I'm going to go on a three day trip with these four or five friends, these covenant this covenant group, and we're just going to pray and laugh and eat and cry and be energized and encouraged and you know for for ministry and for my family. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, that would, the personal side, I think, is we don't want to underestimate the importance of that. On the professional side, I do I do think there are things that, that uh, young preachers and old preachers uh, can do to get re-energized, so to speak, or recalibrated, whatever the word may be. Uh, one is to actually videotape yourself. Mm-hmm. I know that's a lot easier to do now than before, but don't, don't videotape yourself when you're practicing, like looking in the mirror. That's, I think, one of the worst things you can do is in a live setting, mm-hmm. have somebody just videotape you and so that you can actually go over it with, uh, uh, and, and, and learn what are the things that you are saying and doing both. Mm -hmm. saying and doing and learn from that and then get maybe even like a coach share the video with maybe a mentor or seek out like the center I'm I'm, I'm assuming you have programs like that Uh, seek out centers that do this for a living Mm -hmm. and say hey I just need some professional kind of continuing education and training and uh, I think that would be uh, really helpful for them Mm -hmm. so kind of personal and professional I think would be really good
0: no, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I remember in Expo 2, which is a, a course here, we have uh, an assignment where you preach in a class setting, but it's recorded. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I did it and I went back and looked at the video, I was doing things I was completely unaware that I that I did. Uh, and it helped me to see, okay, this is actually probably really distracting, but I was unaware that I was even doing it. And so I wouldn't have even found out if it wasn't for recording myself. mm it's a good word. Well, that will do it for today's discussion, Doctor Kim. Thank you again for being a part of the discussion today. Uh, if you are listening, please go out and buy this book. It is a fantastic resource, and you will not regret adding it to your library. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this discussion helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation.
2: And as always, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.